Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of the Banana Bag Podcast. A banana bag is an IV medication given in the hospital to kind of be a super boost for your body. And that same way, we want this podcast to be a super boost for you, empowering both healthcare professionals and patients, but also anyone interested in learning more about our healthcare system. The Banana Bag Podcast was created to be a space where healthcare professionals and patients can come together and learn from each other's stories where voices can be heard and where people can get honest about their journeys and real-life experiences. Today, I'm speaking with Roel, a case manager. What's a case manager, you ask? Well, we talk about that. We also talk about the emergency room, like ways to make your stay go smoother or appropriate usage. We talk about how insurance impacts your health care. We talk about how COVID has impacted Roel's nursing career and him personally. And we also talk about how patient and healthcare professional relationships can be improved along with much more. Just a quick disclaimer, we give some tips for appropriate usage of the ER, but take it with a grain of salt. You are in charge of your own health, and you should make the best decision for you. If you're questioning whether or not to go to the ER, you should probably go. Better safe than sorry with your health, right? All right, now that that's out of the way, find us on social media, The Banana Bag Podcast, or visit our website for more information, including ways to support us, thebananabagpodcast.com. And please share with your friends if you think they might be interested in listening as well. Well, here it goes. My name is Laura. I'm an emergency room nurse in Los Angeles. I'm your host, and I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Roel, a case manager. Hi, Roel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Laura. I just really wanted to say that I'm really thankful that you took the time to do this, especially while you have so much going on. I mean, just with the pandemic, and I saw that you just started grad school, so you have a lot going on, so I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for thinking about me as part of your show, and I can't wait to chat about it. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel excited to talk to you today because um, you're a case manager, and I feel like that's a role that not a lot of people know about or know what being a case manager consists of. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. (laughs) Yeah. People still don't know. (laughs) Even people I work with don't know. (laughs) I, I agree. I mean, I feel like I don't know the ins and outs of it, and I work with case managers all the time. So can you kind of tell us like what a case manager does and how you got into that role? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing that we have to think about the case manager's role has blossomed in the last 10 years, uh, especially with the Affordable Care Act. Mm. And when we shifted towards more uh, away from uh, doctors who are, you know, being getting paid for taking care of the patient, like, you know, so into more of a managed care system. So when you're managing care, the name kind of says it already that somebody needs to manage the care. And that's when case manager's role has uh, become more identified as a needed profession in nursing. As a case manager, I think there are so many types of case managers, either in the hospital or in the insurance side or in the outpatient clinic, nursing home, all that types of facilities. Uh, my background is in hospital case management. And uh, so as a hospital case manager, we are responsible for coordinating the care for the patient. I always think that it's kind of like playing football where you're the quarterback and you're kind of like, you know, trying to organize the play, you know, mm. while you're in the game. And and so that's that's how I always thought of what case management is. And because uh, we work with so many people, different uh, background, 
doctors, nurses, uh, therapists, dietitians, social workers, and psychologists, and all that, uh, and just to make sure that the patient get the best care at at the timely manner and in the right setting. And those are the really important part of case management that I want to emphasize. I feel like as a quote unquote regular nurse, I even have a little bit of a case management role because I mean, as the nurse, you are doing a lot of the direct patient care and you're coordinating, like you said, all the different professions that work with a patient, like the therapist or speech language pathologist or doctors or anything like that. Like, I feel like all nurses have a tiny bit of a case management role. Oh, absolutely. And that's the reason why in hospital case management, it is a requirement to be an RN. Mm. But I, I think in order to really get the most out of case management, you want that person to have a nursing degree. Is that kind of so they can like understand what is going on with the patient's care and understand like the different aspects? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there were so many times where I was so grateful that I'm a nurse because I kind of, well, with case ma- as a case manager, you are anticipating the needs before it even arise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, so being a nurse, you know, knowing your clinical backgrounds, knowing like every disease pathways and what, you know, what, you, what are the protocols and what, you know, what you need to, to expect in care of a patient, you're, you know, you're already like, five steps ahead of the whole team, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to plan. And and also you already have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And (laughs) so so that's kind of like what you do as a case manager. And sometimes it gets really difficult because uh, as a, a nurse, as a bedside nurse, you know, you are focused on the task ahead of you. And sometimes there were a couple of situations where I'm asking these nurses, I'm like, are we doing this? Do we have this? Do we have this? You know, do we have this test? Do we have, I need to know, have you road tested this patient on oxygen, all this stuff? Because I'm already anticipating beyond what's the current need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the nurses are like, why are you asking me to do all of these things? I'm so busy. And I'm like, <laughs> I understand, but I'm like, you will be busier if you don't do this later and then the need arise. And then you're like trying to do this and the patient ends up staying longer because we did not anticipate that need. Mm, that helps me understand a little bit more because <laughs> sometimes I feel like case managers are asking things that are too far in the future, but I totally understand how not knowing some things could help them, like could make them stay longer or make things like delayed. So that's good to point out. Yeah. Well, aside from that too, is that we, we deal with all, aside from the team, we're dealing with outside vendors. We're dealing with third party people. Mm-hmm. So we're working with home health. We're working with medical supplies. We're working with uh, the medical equipment um, delivery people. Some of this information, if we don't have it, it delays the discharge. And some of, t- some of the times it takes forever. So for example, wound vacs, right? Wound vacs are so difficult to arrange as a case manager. You have to have the cert, you have to know the size of the, uh, the wound, the depth of the wound. Is it surgical? Is it like all of this information that we have to collect and we have to turn it in 48 hours prior in order to make sure that the patient gets the wound back upon discharge. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get all of this information, we're like, you know, we, we have the potential of delaying the care or delaying the discharge 
because we did not anticipate it early enough. And that's especially important for you, right? Because you work in the emergency department. So it's all about trying to turn people over so you can see the next person. So I bet that's like especially stressful to work doing those things in the emergency department. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, my biggest thing in the emergency department is vital signs. Mm. <laughs> I'm like such a basic <laughs> thing. <laughs> I know I it is such a hard thing to like I'm like I'm asking them and and I understand that they're looking at me I'm like you're a nurse why don't you take the vital signs then and I'm like oh my gosh you know it's so it's so hard because in the insurance in order to actually justify whatever you're trying to do they need to know what is the current status of the patient in the emergency department and you know, in the emergency department, it is a very short stay. So the most current is even shorter. So when I have vital signs from four hours ago, it doesn't show what is the current state of that patient. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so I'm getting questions from the insurance saying, uh, that's 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 like, why is it you haven't seen the patient for four hours? Uh, yeah. Or like, how come you haven't drawn the labs? Or how come you have not repeated the troponin? Or, you know, all of these things that like I have to talk to them about and and I have to justify. I'm the one who is actually on the, you know, the face for the insurance. That's why I ask a lot of things that people are like, gosh, Roel, you're so bossy or you're so, <laughs> like you're telling us what to, how to do our job and you're not, you're not even a bedside. I actually had a situation recently where a nurse told me that what I do has nothing to do with nursing. And so, and I'm like, I was a barrier. So I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, I, I was just thinking that while you were talking about all those things that you have to talk with insurance about. I was thinking that that's like a lot of information and science background that you have to have. So I totally understand why they require you to be a nurse. And I feel like maybe even extra training beyond that to know, like to justify everything. Yeah. I mean, you you worked in emergency department before and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, the kind of documentation we have in there. <clears throat> Can you imagine calling an insurance saying, hey, I need to get this patient uh uh, transferred to another hospital to be seen for higher level of care. And he, I mean, you've seen the chart in the ED. It was like, how, how would I, how would you justify that when yeah. we have not said anything? All we have said is that respiration unlabored patient is, you know, <laughs> sleeping, like, you know, and then the I'd doctor. Like, <laughs> I'd like to just give a little information for my ED nurses is that, I mean, saying the patient is sleeping says a lot. It means they're alive. And that's the main thing we try to do in ED is keep them alive <laughs> until they go somewhere else. <laughs> it is true. I, it is true. But, but I totally see how it's hard to like coordinate care just with a note that says patient is sleeping. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and when I'm trying in an in emergency department and where everything is emergent and you're trying to, to justify why we need to do this now, um, to transfer a patient now when it seems like, well, the patient doesn't seem to be in an emergent situation. Mm -hmm. and so, so especially because I had to fax them the chart. And so all the notes that nurses put in, they see it. And so I have, and it's, so that's why it's really important to be a nurse because what I'm doing is I'm literally thinking like a doctor trying to anticipate, okay, what is going on in here? I know the doctor has not documented it yet, but it sounds to me that this patient may have 
uh, you know, gallstone. So they may need, uh, you know, acute coli. Uh, so they may need cholecystectomy or, you know, um, this patient seems like, uh, you know, uh, has heart failure. So we need to diurese this patient so that they can breathe better. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that you're already trying to anticipate and justifying to the insurance beyond what you can see in the chart. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can just throw a note in there. Like it has to be the nurse taking care of the patient. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so hard. Like if you need some more backup, you have to go find the nurse, like go do this. So that's that's really difficult. And also in, in different case managers also have different backgrounds. And so so it's not our strength. Sometimes like I definitely am one to say I'm not a cardiac nurse. So it's not one of my forte. Um, um, but and I had a situation with one of the case manager who was like questioning uh, the, the diagnosis um, uh, that the doctor put in. And she was like, DKA is like, well, do you know the DKA is like, I, they're calling it DKA, but you know, the sugar is only like 250. So I like, I don't even understand why they're calling it DKA. And I'm like, if you're looking at DKA, you're looking at, you know, what make it ketoacidotic. So so she was like, oh, I didn't know that. So it was like one of the newer case managers that I was training. Um, mm. And so so those kind of things is like what's needed. That's why you have nurses as case managers in the hospital, because we have to look at something and kind of come up with like, oh, okay, I see the picture. I see what's going on. I see why we need to do this. With all the things that you're talking about with insurance, I feel like they should require not only a nurse degree, but like a bachelor's of nursing degree, but also a communications major. <laughs> uh, communication is such an important thing that, oh my God, I wish that we spend more time in nursing as well. Because mm-hmm, me too, me too. Therapeutic communication is not something that is emphasized in nursing uh, school. Especially in the emergency department, I feel Especially like. in the emergency department, yeah. <laughs> I love my emergency department, but therapeutic com- communication is not our forte. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I understand that we have a very short amount of time to impact on someone's care in emergency department. So we tend to be very much task oriented, you know, quick to the point and that kind of stuff. So we can move on to the next task. Mm-hmm. I mean, but taking that time to actually talk to people and as a case manager, you know, I feel like one of the things that I do, uh, especially for my practice is going to the bedside and actually talking to the patient. Why are we doing this? Why are we transferring you to another hospital and explaining the whole process, explaining the reason why and that kind of stuff. And so my, if I look at my tally, if like, like, you know, we do like productivity sheet at the end of the day, our shift and, kind of justify why we need case managers in the emergency Mm -hmm. department. My numbers may be low, but I feel like the quality of service is higher because I do take Mm -hmm. that time to speak to people, speak to the patient, speak to the family and explain what's going on as opposed to just saying, oh yeah, well, we're not contracted with your your insurance, so you got to go. Yeah. And I feel like, especially in the emergency department, it's hard because a lot of the emergency department is judged based on the numbers. And Uh that's kind of another reason why we're so task oriented is because we're totally judged by the numbers. So I think that's really important that you take the time to talk to the patient about that because maybe the nurse doesn't have time or is doing something else. 
And Mm -hmm. I think that's such a huge part. And I think as a patient, that's, that's really amazing that you do take the time to do that because I know as a patient, I would appreciate it because I would have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Well, even before, like in my, uh, in my current role, um, like they did not have case managers talking to the insurance until just not very long ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all done by the bedside nurse. So the insurance would actually call the, you know, and they would say, connect me to the bedside nurse so I can get an report. And so, so the bedside nurse who's like so busy, you know, and like trying to figure out what does the insurance, what do they want to hear? It's not something that it's, it's in their uh, wheelhouse. And so, so being a case manager, one, I take that load off of the, the, the bedside nurse. They don't have to go do a chart review so that they can justify to a, you know, a, a nurse on the insurance side, why this patient needs this care. Uh, I can't I can imagine that. having that added on to my list of things to do. I can't imagine. So I thank you for that personally. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you for, you know, I think a lot of what helps me is when people actually document things that happen, even the littlest mm-hmm. thing. But I think one, one thing, the area that I, I have a um, difficulty with is, because as, as an emergency department, we're very much general, and so like care. So we, you know, we, we focus a lot on general care. It's like certain things I kind of like I don't get. Like for example, um, oh by the way, before when I'm doing my chart review, I also have this whole program that I look at that basically that I sometimes put in in there, and to kind of justify why the patient is needs to be admitted or not, right? So. And, and they it's it's based off of Medicare guidelines and so so I'm doing a chart review I'm using this program to review patients and saying oh yeah this patient does need you know continued care uh, you know the patient can be discharged needs to be admitted um, yeah so when a patient come in for like asthma exacerbation you know when a nurse documents things like yeah the patient is uh, you know hunched forward or talking in words or in phrases, you know, uh, little things like this. That's like it it shows the picture for um, the insurance side. Oh, yeah, that patient is having asthma exacerbation. So so that to me is so helpful when I'm speaking on behalf of the people who are on the bedside. Mm. Um, You know, so those those little documentation that, you know, that we learned in nursing school. uh, So they do still apply. (laughs) I think it's hard because because there's no really, really specific requirements for charting. So you don't always know that that's important to chart. So I feel like it might be good for like a case manager to talk to like new hires or something to explain like what they need to see in the chart, even if it was just for emergency room or something, emergency department nurses. But yeah, I feel like that would be really important to know because I, I like I just knowing that that helps you and that would take like such a big burden off your shoulders for me to just put in that like one sentence that would have been really helpful to know. (laughs) My biggest thing is. Believe it or not, in Medicare, um, for Medicare to qualify acute UTI as a reason for hospitalization, um, the difference of documenting if you actually got it as a clean catch versus straight cath. And oh, really? To, yeah. If it's straight cath, it's so easy for me to justify why the patient needs to be, you know, needs to get continued care. Um, but 
when nurses don't document if they straight cat the patient or uh you know if they got it uh, through foley or anything like that like i'm like ah i'm I, I i can't i can't justify acute uti even though they're like practically eurosepsis i'm like yeah wow <laughs> that's but crazy and really- sometimes i mean i remember charting those types of things and i'm like oh this isn't that important i don't need to chart that <laughs> yeah the little things that like people don't realize and i didn't realize that until i started doing this this reviews uh you know to justify if a patient needs to be admitted or not and so i'm like oh wow okay so that makes the big difference right there but i like as you said earlier like you know a case manager being part of the new hire i think even for, taking it even further i feel like case managers should be given a, a small segment on staff meetings to talk about mm-hmm. like you know hey here's what we're doing here's what we need from you guys uh I, and maybe I don't see it because I work nights most of the time. Maybe it is happening during the days. But in my experience, is that like we're um, we may attend, but we're not given uh, time to talk about like what we need. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even small things like just a little bit of time or just like a little bit of communication would go a long way and not only help us understand you more and help you understand us more, but also just I mean, just typing that sentence takes probably like 15 minutes to go find the nurse tell her like oh i need oh you need this charted and then go back that could like save you 15 minutes and that's that's a lot of time for an emergency room case manager yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and it is um we, we're always trying like we're doing like data hunting all the time and and so <laughs> it's so it, it's so much easier when things are you know documented properly and timely so that's that is so helpful uh the uh what was the other one that i was thinking of i i literally was like hunting down someone and i'm like it was the easiest thing but i'm like i i really need you to document it please i know you've done (laughs) it i just need to show that you've done it (laughs) yeah that's crazy well okay so since you work in the emergency department i know you've given a lot of examples of things that you do can you kind of give me the top like two or three most common situations that you run into like the most common patients or whatever that you deal with yeah i think in regards to patients and family i think the part that i i the the top issue that i encounter uh or i i hate to say issue but it's it it is um situation is insurance (laughs) (laughs) so so insurance to me is that i think i mean it is it is so convoluted and people don't know what they sign up for. I mean, if we see the fine prints on those insurance, who takes the time to read the insurance mm-hmm. that they signed up for? Um, and even the phrase you signed up for is such a difficult thing to explain to family. Yeah. And so, especially when they have Medicaid, um, you know, uh, I think that's where I find a lot. That's where I spent most of my time. And that's kind of my bread and butter currently is that like working with patients and families and talking about their insurance and why we are doing certain things. So, for example, uh, patients who have HMO, when you sign up for HMO, I'm not sure, you know, when, when you sign up for HMO, when you're signing up, they ask you to choose a doctor. 
and that process right there it seems so easy for you to do as a patient but you don't understand the repercussions of like what you signed up for that doctor belongs to a medical group Mm. that medical group is getting paid by the insurance to take care of you they are given sometimes they are given a certain amount of money already to take care of you every year and so they have this financial or fiscal um motives to do certain things and one of them is contracting to hospitals so they are not contracted to a certain hospitals only and so when you show up in the emergency department and you're saying i have an insurance why can't you keep me why can't you take me well because you signed up with a doctor who is assigned to a, a, a to a medical group who is only contracted to that hospital so they've already gotten paid to take care of you at that hospital. Mm-hmm. So, and and if they keep you to our hospital, if we are out of network or non-contracted hospital, that means they're taking money out of that prepaid money that they got from the insurance to take care of you to pay us. So it is to their benefit to bring you back to their hospital and, and take care of you from there. And, Unfortunately, you signed up for that when you elected to get that doctor. Well, the other caveat right now that we're seeing is with medical patients or the Medicaid patients that are, you know, now turning from fee for uh, fee for service to uh, managed care. So in California, the medical has now hired uh, HMOs to care for all the medical members same thing so you are getting assigned to the doctor and they send you every year a letter this packet saying hey are you happy with your insurance or with your coverage right now with your doctor with the insurance with the hospital that you're getting care from if you um if you don't respond to that the, the medical or the Medicaid, their best interest is to make sure that all of their contracted HMO has enough members in their numbers so that they can keep afloat. So if you don't respond to that letter, they will reassign you oh, to a different no way. doctor every year if you don't respond to that letter. Oh my and gosh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so so because because it's all about it's all about the money, right? And so so they're trying to make sure that all of this contracted HMO are able to stay afloat and so so they will reassign you. So patients would say, "Well, I didn't sign up for that doctor." The act of not signing up and responding is legally that says that you chose that. Like you because you did not choose it. We chose it for you. Oh, my gosh. And so so this is the conversation that I always have with patients and family. And, you know, they're getting mad at me. I'm like, I was with this medical group last year. Why am I on this medical group this year? Why am I It's like, why am I being transferred? I was supposed to be, you know, I was getting care here before. And well, yeah, did you sign? Did you get that paperwork? Did you fill it out? If you didn't, then, yeah, this is what's happening. And they usually send it out about three months before your birthday. Um, so that's crazy. Uh, so- <laughs> I didn't even know that. I feel like they're going to change my doctor because I did not s- respond to that. <laughs> well, that is more for like the medical or the uh, you know the Medicaid, but for your insurance, that's fine. 
But it does happen sometimes with commercial, and it happened to me where my doctor, I have an HMO, and my doctor actually um, either full or have so many patients or has changed contracts or what, and they reassigned me to a different primary care physician, and I didn't know. Because oh one because one one day, you know, my card came up and I'm like, who is this doctor? I don't even know this doctor. And I had to change doctor because that doctor was no longer contracted. But but you didn't even get notified? Well, I mean, I mean they may have, but you know, the, the, you, the amount of emails that we get, know. you know, <laughs> yeah. or even email is just like, oh, you know, I yeah. think my doctor did, my doctor didn't try to say, you know, hey, we're, I'm on, uh, listen, uh, I have taken a different role. I have uh, taken significant uh, less people, less patients now. Um, but I was like, my doctor loves me. I'm, why would she get rid of me? So, mm-hmm. and I'm like, so I think she was soliciting for people who would volunteer to change doctors, and I didn't. And she probably didn't get enough people to volunteer that it got changed. So I was like, oh, I guess she and I don't are not really that close. So- <laughs> And that kind of puts a weird relationship between you and that older, that old doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. But yeah, so those that's that's kind of like there's these are the conversations I have with fa- patients and family in regards to their insurance. It's I mean, I- so I feel like something that could help patients make their even just their emergency department stay go a lot smoother is to like is to be more aware of their insurance, who their provider is, or like what medical group they're a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the times people would go into the websites, you know, they go to uh, the hospital website and it's, they list there who they're contracted with. Um, Those are not accurate. Those are never accurate. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Because the, the, the system is so convoluted and there's so many things in, included in, you know, that people don't realize that is just a general term. And that's just really a marketing tool on, a insur- on the hospital side to show why, you know, who they're contracted with. But it's not necessarily true when it comes to what your plan is. So, so where do you recommend that they find that information? They really have to go to their plan, but they really need to. But even um, even when you go to the plan, you actually have to do a second step, and you actually do call, call you know your your doctors as well if that's still true or not. So, for example, um, when that whole thing happened where I lost my primary care, so I had to elect a new primary care physician. So I was shopping through the website. Uh, for a doctor and so you know i want this kind of doctor who specializes in this kind of things and who speaks this kind of language and all that stuff and on their website you know and i also put down which medical group i want to i want to belong to and so when i finally saw a doctor i'm like oh i like this doctor i'm like you know I, i did some research i actually like even googled him i googled like what school he went to and you know where has he worked and all that stuff i did my due diligence and then when i called so i called the um the doctor's clinic to find out if they're taking new patients and they're like oh yeah we're you know we're not we don't belong to that medical group. We belong to a different medical group, even oh though gosh. I specified 
on the insurance side, that medical group. So the insurance so, sites aren't always accurate either. You should call. Aren't, aren't always accurate either. So you have to find out. I have to call and do your own due diligence as well. So, And this is the reason why I have a job. it's so hard and all these little things that people don't know and don't realize that it just and that it created this position where i have to explain to people why why things are happening my job is definitely not the easiest Mm -mm. not the most um, it's not the one that you get thank you for <laughs> when there's a case manager involved especially in emergency department it means it's not a good thing yeah so i feel like even the fact that you deal with insurance so often everyone knows how frustrating insurance is so i feel like that's a huge stressful part just in itself having to deal with insurance yeah absolutely and the things that they don't know oh the other thing that i have to emphasize when you call the insurance the first people you talk to, they're not experts. <laughs> and so when they tell you that, yeah, you can go to that hospital because they're part of our, they're contracted with us, they don't know your plan. Oh my gosh. It goes back to <laughs> your plan. And so they just know that they have a contract with your with that hospital. It's, it's, it's listed. They look at this list of contracted hospital, but all contracts are based on plans. And so I have this conversation again with patients and family, <laughs> why they are lying to you. Uh, I, I, I'm like, I hate to say it, but there's so many times that I'm like, I feel like they think that I'm lying because I'm like, dude, they got, you got the wrong information. I feel like I definitely don't blame patients at all for not knowing who, what medical group they're a part of just because of all the false information that's out there. <laughs> There's so much false information out there. So much you uh, I mean we it's all about the bottom line, right? So we're hiring people for you know certain to do certain tasks and you know and and people need jobs and stuff like that. Some of the, sometimes the like this I hate to say it but like some of this lower level positions you know, people are not vested in their jobs sometimes, so they just do whatever it takes in order to do what they do. And and they're being bombarded with things that, you know, um, you know, patients and family yelling at them and stuff. So they will just say the things that so that they know that would they want to hear and mm-hmm. so that they can go back and like, see, they told me that uh, you're contracted. So so why are you doing that? You know. <laughs> so if the first person you call doesn't know, then should you ask for someone specifically or what should you do? Absolutely. I would go beyond that. So I always to, go beyond should that. Should you ask I mean, to talk to someone specifically? I would, I, I, you know, I don't know what's the best way to, to, to ask specifically who is mostly in my, because where I, you know, the time that I work, I work in after hours, they don't have the full staff oh, to okay. answer those questions. So they're, you know, and, and that's where the issue is, is that like, you know, you're calling in on this after hours staff who are there just to take messages for the most part. And Mm -hmm. so even though they said they have 24-7 customer service. They don't. The people (laughs) who are working there are not the 24-7 experts. So a lot of the times they just have to take down some information. And then the, the response that I get a lot is that, oh, we have to call you back during business hours. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. 
So you deal so much with insurance. Can you give me a scenario when someone comes in that isn't insured and how that process goes? Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's, like what I said earlier, it's all about the bottom line, right? It's all about the money. Hospitals are, I hate to say it, we're nurses. We signed up to become a nurse because, you know, we want to care. We want to provide care for people. We want to help people. But when you work in, you know, but we are employed by a company. And so, and companies mm-hmm. are there, you know, for profit even though they're mm-hmm. non-for-profit, even if they say they're not-for-profit. Not you know, it is still the bottom line. In order for us to have a job, in order for the hospital to continue, you know, providing care, you know, we have to meet the bottom line, right? So having said that, when people are uninsured, first of all, there is a, what's called the MTALA law, you know, the, the uh, gosh, I can't remember what Amtala means. So, <laughs> Me neither, but so I it, know it just means you can't tell anybody to go away. <laughs> exactly. So that's important to know for anybody who needs care. You go to the ER, they can't turn you down, even if you don't have an insurance. So uh, if you really need the care. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean release you from any financial responsibility. Mm-hmm. You still will get a bill from the hospital, but we're required to give you a care. Um, when people do not have the money or do not have the insurance, the hospital is not stupid. They know that they're not going to get money from you. There's so many people out there who just go and says like, yeah, just bill me and they never pay for it because they don't care about their credit. Mm-hmm. The hospital itself is, you know, wants to make sure that they get something out of every patient. And so, a lot of the times is that when patient gets admitted, um, when they need, uh, when they don't have insurance, hospitals invest on making sure that you get um, that you get insurance. So, for example, signing you up with Medicaid, so they have people who would screen you and see if you would qualify for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, if you can't afford to, take, or if you don't have insurance, or if you can't afford insurance you most likely will qualify for Medicaid. And they'll sign you up right there? And they will sign you up right there if you get admitted. Because with Medicaid, first of all, Medicaid is um, uh, is, can be a retroactive payment, which means that even if you're not, um, you don't have the Medicaid at the time that you went to the hospital, when you get approved, Medicaid can the hospital can still request for retroactive payment from that previous um, visit. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Okay, so Medicaid will pay for like a previous visit that you did if you qualify yeah. for it. Okay. Yeah. So 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 when they signed up for that day of like for, so let's say you came today, you don't have an insurance. You don't have Medicaid right now. They sign you up today. You know, the process, you know, there's so many people who are trying to get on the Medicaid. Um, so they don't approve you. They what? But if you, on the screen, they see that you may you will be approved, you can be what's called presumptive eligibility. And so if you have presumptive eligibility, that means that you will, you don't have the actual Medicaid right now. But they know that you will qualify, so um, 
so they can actually retroactively bill for that today. Um, you know, when your actual Medicaid gets fully uh, approved, like three months later. Mm. So it's not gonna. They can't. Re- they can't retroactive pay for beyond today. You know. But up to today, when they actually sign you up, they can actually retroactively bill for it. Um, okay, so until, that's good to you know, know. I didn't know about after that. you get your uh, your Medicaid. I feel like, as a bedside nurse, a quote unquote regular nurse, I feel like people ask me about insurance all the time, and we don't really deal with insurance because you are there. So, I feel like it's good to know these things as a nurse because patients have a lot of questions about insurance, and I, I mean. I feel like it's good that I don't know a lot about insurance because that doesn't affect my care, but I would like to know more about like people to refer them to. So I didn't even know that you were so involved with insurance. So that's that's good to know where like I can refer patients to you for insurance questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, most case managers, though we do have license as an as an RN or LVN, we are not directly part of the nursing department Mm -hmm. we are actually part of the finance department in most hospitals oh that's interesting so so we do have a dotted line uh when it comes to like organizational chart we have a dotted line under the or under the nursing department but we have a solid line under finance Mm -hmm. um so our but so we we have certain things that we benefit for, for being a nurse but we don't have all the benefits of the nurse which you you know as a bedside nurse you have so much more benefits than we do oh yeah <laughs> so um so definitely it's 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 we have to know this insurance part we have to know because for example we we need to know what is covered or not um and how each coverage can affect the other. For example, you can't have a bedside commode if you are, you know, if you have a walker. Medicare oh, will okay. not pay for both. Because do you need the commode on the bedside? Because the bedside commode means that you're, um, you're bed bound. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking for a walker, does that mean that you're ambulatory? So why do you need bedside commode? Mm. So little things like that that you're like, and people and and families are like getting upset. I'm like, well, it's like I don't have the time to get to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I'm like, I understand that. I'm like, I I I, I agree with you. I you need this, but what I'm telling you is that it's not going to be covered by the insurance. So I want you to anticipate. I'm setting up expectations. We can get it for you, but it may cost you money to pay for one or the other. Mm. So, so these are the kind of conversations that you always have with with, um, with patients and family. I feel like your role is really important to help communication between the patient and the healthcare system. So, like being the middleman in between insurance or the patient, which I'm sure is frustrating, but I'm really thankful, and I'm sure we're all very thankful for what you do. Besides knowing more about insurance, do you have any other recommendations for patients that would help their stay go smoother in the emergency department? Um, it's a hard question. Sorry. Yeah, because <laughs> there's so many things that you you could do. I think. Um, 
at the end of the day, I think this is something that most people who are either Gen X or mill- uh, or millennials know more, but anybody who is older than probably a Gen X um, wouldn't. Historically, is that doctors are kind of looked at as like the the uh, the authoritative figure when it comes to the care. Mm. And I beg to differ. And I think it's that patients and families are the authority for your care. Mm. You know, so so this is something, a conversation I always have with my mom and like, you know, people who are older. Like, well, my doctor told me I need to take this medication. Well, my doctor told me this medication. Just imagine. So, for example, in case of my mom who has, um, you know, has chronic illnesses and seeing multiple doctors they have their own specialties they Mm -hmm. have and they get paid based on you know how much they see you what they bill you for uh what they what they sorry what they prescribe you for so they get you know they all the stuff that they get um that they can bill for so that they can get paid but they're only seeing it on the organ that they are responsible for their Mm -hmm. kidney the heart, the liver, you know, the podiatry, you know, so uh, the neurologist, so all of these people, and they're all prescribing. And my mom, and, and not just my mom, a lot of older people um, have like poly, polypharmacy and they have so much medications. And if you, as a nurse, if you're a nurse, you look at this and like, do you even really need all of these? <laughs> You know, it's, it's, but because a lot of the times, you know, historically people think like, well, my doctor told me, so it must be good. You know, I think it's, it's a change, a shift that we need to have is that you still are, you know, for your own care, you are still the one who's responsible for your care. So you're kind of saying be your own case manager. (laughs) Be your own case manager. Absolutely. (laughs) As much as it hates me and it pains me when when people advocate for themselves because it's so it makes things a little bit harder, but it is the truth. You are you have to advocate for yourself. You have to ask the questions. You have you cannot just say, you know, think of what they say. You have to basically dig in because especially in the emergency department if you you know we're when you come in here for abdominal pain we're only going to look at your belly you mm-hmm. know and and if you don't give us the full picture you don't give us like all of these things that that you know that would show us that maybe the belly pain is just a symptom of other things that's going on mm. so it's you have to be able to advocate for yourself and ask the right question and be able to say, no, I don't want that. Mm. You know? Um, Which is hard to say to a doctor okay. or a nurse. It's hard, it's hard it sucks to say for no. us as healthcare people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're like, oh, God, this person is non-compliant or whatever. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, you are the driver of your care. So, um, and as and for us, even as a, uh, as a healthcare provider, you know, we have to respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, the funniest thing that I always see being a case manager and working with social workers and people who are saying like, oh, my God, they're like me. They, you know, we need capacity because they're like they're going to hurt themselves if they do that. Hey, bad decision making does not necessitate lack of capacity. Mm. That's what <laughs> <laughs> that's what we always say. It's like. 
we all make bad decisions, but that doesn't mean that they do not have the right to make that bad decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we learn as nurses that the patient knows himself or herself best. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. So we got cut out for a sec, but we were talking about patients just taking control over their care. And like you were saying, I think that's more important now than ever because of the different doctors you're having for different things and how many different specialties are arising. So yeah, I think maybe a personalized case manager might be a role in the future. (laughs) Actually, it's not in the future. It is happening. I am encountering case managers who are working for the patients. Oh, really? Yeah. And I mean, it's something that I dreamt of years ago and I am so <laughs> that I'm like I never jumped on it because I recently have encountered two people whose job is that they advocate for the patients and the family they actually do all the care so uh, so normally things that I communicated to family I was communicating with this nurse and this doctor and they're case managing it for the patient of course you know, these are, you know, well-to-do people. Yeah. So they have their own doctor and nurses who are case managing for them and who are able to ask, like, well, how come you're not ordering this? How come you're not ordering that? Why didn't, why can't you get this? And Oh, wow. um, Yeah. Uh, Case management, I think in the, I do believe that in the future, hopefully it's going to be more available for people. I do believe that case managing, I think this is the part where I where I get pulled all the time. I work for the hospital. I mm-hmm. am working for a finance department. It's all about the money. But in the core of my being, I am a nurse. And uh-huh. I am an advocate for the patient. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that I'm doing, as though fa- patients and family may not seem like I am advocating for them, I am advocating for you. There are things that you don't understand why this would be better. So, for example, things that would... Oh, yeah. So, here's a good example for, like, smoother transitions or smoother things that that would happen. Not so much just an emergency, but in a bigger picture. Mm. We get patients who come in as an out-of-network in the ER. And... um, you know, working, you know, when you work for a hospital that has a, you know, a good reputation, they, patients and families would want to go there because they get good care. But if that hospital is not contracted, you know, they are, so you you have rights and patients have rights to refuse transfers, um, you know, because of the insurance. It doesn't release you of financial liability, but you have right mm-hmm. to stay if you want to. Um, but there, even though as crappy as your insurance is, and <laughs> believe it or not, there are crappy insurance out there. The beauty of being in network versus out of network is the care that you need if you have further ongoing care needed or issues, so chronic illness. So for example, if you come into a hospital and they're out of network and you are, their job is to do, to take care of what you came there for. Once you get discharged from that hospital, like their liability ends or in the sense of like what they're responsible for. We don't, they don't care if, if, you know, like what else you need after that? We have taken care of you for what you came for. 
you need all, all of the outpatient stuff, it would still go back to your in-network. Mm. So, so, so when patients are getting transferred to like their in-network hospital, there's a beauty to that because the fact is once you're in-network, things that you may need, you know, further after admission, they can take care of it while you're in the hospital. So all of your in-network appointments, all of the being seen in the specialist. Um, so like follow-up care, they can help you schedule that or yeah. help you figure out where to go. Oh, yeah. that, that's an important point. As a case manager, for an, if, you're, if I'm in an out-of-network um, uh, hospital, my discharge planning is go back to your in-network and get all of your care. So, you know, I'm not going to set up the like all of your follow-up and stuff like that. Your network is responsible to set up all of your care after the admissions. So so when you get transferred to your in-network hospital, they can arrange all of that while you're in the hospital. Also, on top of that too, are there things that may need to be facilitated and expedited uh, for you? So if you are uh if you need for example uh what's a good example i can't think of anything on top of my head right now <laughs> um certain procedures that you um you may need if you are already admitted into that in-network hospital sometimes it's beneficial for them to do that procedure immediately as opposed to setting it up as an outpatient oh so you might be able to get your care sooner sooner too. absolutely so, so because if you if we admitted you for for example, oh here we go, cholecystectomy, right? So if you come in for uh, cholecystitis, um, which is your gallbladder, yeah, which is your <laughs> gallbladder, and so what we can do is that um, uh, if you stay with your out of network hospital, the hospital that you went to, you know they may just treat you with antibiotics and you know, have the inflammation come down before they can address that procedurally. And then well, if, you did, if you need that procedure, acute cholecystectomy is normally considered an outpatient or uh, outpatient procedure. So then you would have to wait for the outpatient, the ambulatory care to set you up and you have to wait for two weeks or more to get your gallbladder out. Well, mm. if you would have gone transferred to that hospital that's within network, and they have an opening on their um, uh, on their OR. They can take care of you immediately. Mm. You get your gallbladder out taken out immediately. So, uh, so there is like there is a benefit to like what why we're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. You get the actual care that you need throughout the continuum from inpatient to outpatient better when you are within your network. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's definitely something because I feel like the top two complaints are that, I mean, I feel like the top two things that patients get stressed about are that they don't get their care soon enough or that they don't get help after the hospital. Yeah. And I mean, just going to your in-network hospital would help both of those things. So that's good to note. Absolutely. And most of the time is that people who are, you know, who are showing up in an out-of-network hospital, aside from just emergently, you know, it's like they don't know this. And they and so, and because they don't know this, they may not have that contact with their in-network, with their medical group, or aside from their 
So it's creating that relationship that you need, especially when you have chronic illness, to make sure that mm-hmm. you you know you have the relationship with the, your medical group, with the, the, the doctor's office, and all of that stuff, so that you're gonna get your continued care. And just knowing knowing when you're healthy, which hospitals are in network. So when you have an emergency, you know yeah, where to absolutely. go. Absolutely. Because I, like we were saying, no one's going to turn you away. But if you know where the best place to go is when you're having an emergency, I mean, obviously, you're not going to call insurance if you're having an mm-hmm. emergency, but it's good to know yeah. beforehand. And, and look at your plan. Look at your plan and look at what's in network versus out of network. So you could actually, mm-hmm. so they actually, uh, what's called the um, explanation of benefit, EOB. So whenever you get an EOB from your insurance, it tells you what your benefits are. And um, and it tells you what they would cover and what they would not cover. And they would actually show you what is, um, you know, what is the difference cost-wise for inpatient, uh, for in-network versus out-of-network. And you, I mean, your co-pays could be different when you go to emergency department with an in-network versus out-of-network. That's good to know. Oh, well, I feel like there's so much to know about I feel like we could have like a 20 serious things about insurance. So... (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned for parts two through 19. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll have to have you back on again, but I would like to talk a little bit more about how it's been working through COVID because you work in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles and Los Angeles is one of the places that's been Mm -hmm. hit hard. So, I mean, can you kind of talk about how, I want to talk about how it's affected your practice, but also you personally. Yeah. Because I know you're staying in a hotel right now and it's hard to see your family, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I have elected to stay at a hotel so that, you know, just to, I have family members that live with me. I have my mom that lives with me and, you know, I have my sister and my niece and uh, nieces and nephew that are living with me as well and and i just don't want to take that home and so um, the the mm-hmm. the lowest risk possible is definitely st- you know to live in a hotel for now and and uh work and and go to work i mean that's a sacrifice in itself to not be able to be by family but also to just not be able to be at home and to be able to to leave your work environment and be able to relax at home, but you have to go to a place that's not necessarily familiar. On a personal note, uh, an hour ago, I made myself one of my favorite soup, a green chili soup. <laughs> and I'm working in, a, I'm living in a hotel right now that has a little bit of a kitchen and not even having the spices that I need to make my soup. I was just like, oh, so sad. Oh, that is I didn't sad. Realize that. I mean, little things like that that help you de-stress from such a stressful job. That that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, "Oh my god, I don't have any flour in this hotel." It's like I didn't get flour to to thicken my soup, and I'm like, "Ugh." So I was like, Aww. "Yeah, just the little things like that that you know that you take for granted, I guess, that you don't realize until you're in this situation." Mm-hmm. But definitely, it's been a def- it's been a uh, a difficult ten months. It's been um, uh, being working in emergency department. I did not have the luxury of uh, some other people in my department that are able to work from home. I have been in the front line the whole mm-hmm. time. 
uh, it definitely has affected the way I do my work. Um, um, you know, like what I said, one thing I love about my what I do is being able to talk to patients and family. And and with COVID and this and being hit hard with it, um, so many patients and families that I, I'm not able to talk to. And uh, you know, doing everything either mm-hmm. by phone or by um, you know just to reduce risk for myself. Mm-hmm. Like reducing the amount of times you go in the room. Yeah. So like a lot of the times, and I, I love the people that I work with and I'm so, so, so grateful for them. Um, you know, they're so helpful that a lot of times they're willing to st- send messages for me to the patients and family. If not, I just do it over the phone with them. Uh um, I not having those face to face contact, but yeah, my nurses. I, I love my nurses. They would say, you know, they would they would send my um, messages to the patient because why put another person as a risk exposure if they're already in the room to to be able to mm-hmm. say things like, hell oh, yeah, your you know your insurance wants to transfer you to another hospital, that kind of thing. So, um, it it definitely has affected my workflow. Um, it the pressure has been added so much as a as an ED case manager who works a lot in what's called repatriation, and that's when we transfer patients from one hospital to another. Mm. I it's been difficult. I haven't been able to transfer anybody because all hospitals are full, so we end up mm. taking care of all of this out of network patients, which. Gosh, I don't know what's going to happen once the pandemic is over. What are the financial repercussions, you know, um, mm. uh, with with being admitted to an out of network? Uh, this is unprecedented, and we don't know what's what's going to happen, you know, with our current system to patients and family. Um, it's definitely been stressful in that sense. Um, the the conversations more and more with the doctors asking, do we really need to admit this patient? All these patients and families who are coming to the ER that are non-COVID related or things that are using ER as a primary care versus emergency care, uh, you know, mm-hmm. things that are like, I, I understand you, you sprained your ankle. Like it hurts so bad. Um, you don't need to be in an ER. You'll, you'll live. live you'll, you you will home. live. I promise <laughs> you will. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because in reality is what when you go to, and I, I this happens to me too, you know, when the first time I had an, a pain, I had a gout attack and gout runs in my family and, and it was the most painful thing. And I went to the ER and I'm like thinking after I got, you know, I got through what they did to the ER. I'm like, I could have done this at home. I cannot believe my insurance paid this <laughs> ER this much just for stuff that I could have done at home. I could have rehydrated myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have taken ibuprofen. I could have taken... <laughs> and, and, and granted, gut attack is very, very painful. Don't get me wrong. It is di- very difficult. And I think at that point, I did get some narcotics. But it definitely... Um, you know, during the pandemic, it's just like there are there things that do you really need to go to the ER for? So you've been having to like use more discretion deciding who gets admitted and who goes home. Unfortunately, yeah, and we're having these conversations with doctors, and of course, like you know, like you and I were talking about how liabilities. 
doctors are liable and sometimes it's like a gray area or sometimes it's just like you know certain doctors are a little bit more worrisome than the other and mm-hmm. you're like they're admitting for the littlest things and you're like can we just like do this as an outpatient versus you know admission so and i get it from know. their side too because if they were asked like why didn't you admit the patient and they say the hospital is like is that a legitimate uh, excuse yeah and you know and that's the thing with the pandemic is that we're, we're we are being we're faced with issues that you know that we never had to deal with before and with the bed capacity being so low to almost zero now and this happened in italy this happened in new york you know and i'm hoping that we don't get to this point is that i i would i am so fearful and i'm so stressed and scared if we get to the point where we're making decisions on who gets the care or not, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, so this happened, I, I I, mean, I was watching, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, the Italian doctors where they are having, I don't know how often this ethics committee that they have created, basically trying to figure out like who gets intubated and who's not because we don't have enough, in, uh, you know, vents, and it's hard with that and tell a law that we talked about where you can't turn anybody away. Yeah, absolutely. So as an emergency department, you don't have beds, but also you can't turn anybody away. Yeah. So you're kind of stuck with all these patients. Yeah. And 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 I think patients and family listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> we do have this thing called acuity screening. And when you show up in the ER, you are graded by acuity, which means that if we if you show up in the ER and we rushed you in to the bed, that's that means a bad sign. That's a bad <laughs> sign. But if you are in the ER and you waited for six or eight hours in the waiting room, that means your acuity is low. It means that you'll live. Mm-hmm. And it also could mean that you may be able to benefit from an urgent care versus an ER. Mm-hmm. Do you want to kind of talk about appropriate ER usage and kind of what things should go to urgent care and what things should go to ER? You know, ER, you have to remember, is emergent. Emergent meaning life or limb uh, or people who are, you know, that there is, you know, life or death situation. Um Anything that may be like uh, for pains, uh, urgent care can screen a lot of that. Urgent care is also capable of sending people to the emergency department when it's something that they cannot handle. So do like if you go to urgent care, they might say, oh, you need to go to the ER or they'll tell you, oh, you're fine. Yes. To wait until the next day yes. to go see your primary Absolutely. Doctor. Absolutely. We get a lot of patients uh, in the ED from the urgent care because they know what they're capable of. They, and they also know what they're liable for. And so they will send patients to the ED when it's no longer within their scope of practice. But things that are pain, things that are flu, uh, things that are... Uh, like, you know, you have a uh, uh, a rash or any of that stuff. You don't need to go to the ER for that. You can go to your primary care or you can go to urgent care. When you are dealing with, like, loss of blood or when you're dealing with um, limbs and that kind of stuff, definitely go to the ER, <laughs> you know. But, mm-hmm. but I think it's, like, the rash or the fever or this and that. Like, just maybe we should start going to urgent care first. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think the big thing for me is like, 
how long have you had the pain? Uh -huh. If you have abdominal pain that you've had for months and months and you've you it's the same pain, that's something that you could probably wait to see your primary doctor for that we probably can't do in ER because we only do take care of emergent situations. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've discharged where I tell them there might be something wrong with you, but it's not an emergency. So you need to see your primary yeah. doctor. I mean, I've told people that and I've sent people home knowing that there might be something that they still need to follow up with. It's just not an emergency. And that's the thing. I think that brings up another point that the emergency hospital, the emergency department is not the whole hospital. Yeah. We are not full care. Our job is to stabilize a patient so that they can move forward to the next level of care, either home or inpatient. Our job is to basically make sure that you're not going to die. And if you're going to survive, yes. you either go home or you get admitted. Absolutely. So, you know, so we stabilize you so that we can go move forward to the next level. So either lower or higher level, but that's what we do. And so that's, and that's the part that's, you know, it's hard to explain to family and patients. Is there, well, I'm here in the ER. Why can't take care of it now? And I'm like, we're not primary care. We're ER. And that's a question. That's a, that's a conversation that is so hard to explain with patients and family, because I know you're in pain and you want to be taken care of. And, but sometimes pain is also a barrier to receptive uh, communication. Mm -hmm. It's just like they don't hear what you're trying to say. So Another uh, thing is, a, as nurses, if someone calls us and asks us if they should come to the ER, we technically can't tell you no. So no. Yeah. don't call the <laughs> ER and ask if you should come. If you're debating whether or not you should come, you might as well come to just get it checked out. But don't yeah. call because we can't say no. <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so I love I love like the the ER the the nurse hotlines that you know that health systems provide because you're not gonna get the answer that you want anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, with your health, it's better to be safe than sorry. So if you're debating it, you should go. But absolutely, absolutely. Just but try I, to understand if they tell you that it's not an emergency. Yeah, but I think it's something that we need to further educate our in the community is the mm -hmm. different types of care available. When is it appropriate? Like we kind of touch on it. When is it appropriate for you to go to the doctor? When is it appropriate for you to go to urgent care? When is it appropriate for you to go to emergency care? The only thing right now, as much as it's, especially in the pandemic, that we need to, you know, I'm not sure what the, how are the urgent cares are. I, I think they are open because I see a lot of them that are still have lines of people outside. Mm -hmm. You know, urgent cares are not governed or have the same rules as emergency. So they're not required to see people. Mm -hmm. So your insurance does play when you go to urgent care. I actually tried to go to an urgent care. Uh, in San Diego uh, when I was, uh, but I have an HMO. So when I went to the urgent care, they said, I can't go. I, you know, they can't see me because oh, really? they're not contracted with my HMO. So do know that and do know that that's, you know, it's, it's not going to be an always op available option for you, especially when you are out of town. Uh, so when you're out of town, emergency department is going to be your best bet to go, you know, to go, but Mm -hmm. Look at your plan and look for what what are the urgent cares nearby if you have an HMO. So what are some things that you would go to the 
to urgent care for. So I would say like strep throat or maybe the flu, or if you want to get a rash checked out, kind of those things that you're kind of concerned about, but might not be an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the main things like, like, you know, strep throat, body aches, uh, you know, otitis media or ear infection, (laughs) you know, things like that, that, you know, people are, um, you know, they can take care of that. You remember it is run by a a healthcare provider. I'm not saying doctor, it's run by healthcare provider. Um, And so, which means that it could be a nurse practitioner or a PA as well, who are capable of doing primary care level of a primary level of care. So and like you're also- saying, if you if they feel like you need to go to the emergency department, they'll tell you. Like they're not gonna not tell you to go. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 they can even do like minor stitches in urgent care. So mm-hmm. uh so you so things like that, like you know, if it's not gonna co- if it's not gonna be a life or death situation, you know. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I I think it's hard because a lot of people don't necessarily know what urgent cares are capable of, but Uh I mean, they'll tell you what they're capable of. And if they can't take care of you, they'll tell you where to go there. It's kind of a good place to go if you're not sure. Yeah, they will call 911 for you. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times if people are sent from urgent care, we often tend to take them in more quickly because urgent care had decided that they were in emergency. Absolutely. And then so then that as opposed to you walking into the ER and having to wait in that lobby for hours, may if you're going to the urgent care, they've done all the full assessments for you already. When they sent to us, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that, they definitely need to be admitted. Yeah, so that's another benefit is you might have already had some blood drawn or some t- some type of test done where, yeah, this is an emergency. And also, that's also goes back to like you gotta know who are the urgent care that's within your plan as well. So, for example. Uh, let's say a medical group that has a hospital attached to it and an urgent care, they're all practicing in one uh, software system for electronic health records. So some of the things would actually be not have to be repeated if you are going within your network. Mm. So those records are already on the computer for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it all comes urgent... down to insurance and go- knowing your insurance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, knowing what your insurance. Please, please, please do more research about your insurance. <laughs> yeah, I feel like after this, I want to go look up my insurance to know more about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think the. I mean, right now you know economic wise is that a lot of people are on hmo hmo is a lot cheaper than ppo uh, mm-hmm. ppo i think that's a difference between hmo and ppo um a ppo is pretty much you can go anywhere you want you don't need referrals to go see a specialist if you want to see a podiatrist you can go set up a time with a you know go on appointment so you don't need a referral but with an hmo you have your primary care physician as the driver of all of your care so they have to actually see you for it first before they send a referral to a specialist mm-hmm. um so it's definitely um you know with hmo there's a lot of caveats and there's a lot of levels of plans and so we really really need to uh to know what you're signed up for or what your employer offering you and all that stuff because uh, they all change one may have 
even though it says the same HMO name, what your employer signed up for may be different than another employer. So their copay is $150 and yours is $300 to go to emergency department. So, so, <laughs> so, it, it, so there are different levels of plans because the, the employers are required to provide insurance to their employees when they have a certain amount of employees in their roster. And, and, but some of this, uh, you know, companies are not, making a lot of money either so there's different levels of plans available so 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 if you're working for a mom and pop company and and you they offer you this insurance and it sounds like your husband is the same insurance but it may not and it's not going to be the same insurance Mm -hmm. so wow well i feel like all this was such great information and you gave us some really Awesome tips, both as healthcare professionals, but also as patients to kind of help our stay go smoother. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, sorry. I think we got sidetracked a little bit about the whole COVID stuff and went back to insurance. I'm sorry. I feel like so. <laughs> no, that's it's, I mean, it all it's included in that. So it's good to talk about and make people aware of because I don't think people understand how much insurance affects your care and how much it affects yeah. your stay. I mean, I think it's that's why I think with the pandemic, it heightens the need to evaluate what our health system is. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I do anticipate that at some point um, after the whole pandemic, there will be some kind of a revamp on our health system. I don't anticipate that we can do what we're doing it's not sustainable. Um, you know, we I feel are... like, I mean, that's kind of why I started this because I feel like there's no platform for patients to get more informed or for healthcare professionals and patients to communicate with each other and talk about like the best way to handle your care. I mean, it's... I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I don't <laughs> think that is the goal of any insurance is for the patients to know. So this is definitely helpful. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, you know. I mean, it's purposely. I feel like the same with retirement. Like, it's purposely confusing. (laughs) Purposely confusing so that you don't, you know, it's, we are a capitalistic economy. And every, you know, companies and major companies, big firms will nickel and dime us for every little. Because just imagine if you have 100,000 subscribers or members in your insurance and if they can nickel and dime you and get $10 out of that 100,000 that's a million dollars that they have just gained in their profit you know yeah it's it sucks and so today you know that and that's how they they do and that's why you have to be so informed about your care and try to just educate yourself as much as you can before you go to the hospital, before you need the hospital. Yes, absolutely. And we do need to start shifting our, our, the community needs to start shifting into more of health prevention, you know, health uh, promotion and disease prevention. I think it's, we Mm -hmm. are so much entrenched into tertiary care or, you know, or, Taking care of things after they happen rather than preventing them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and we are a, a society here in the U.S. of um, gluttony and 
I know we're doing seeing so many lifestyle related diseases that you know that it just we need to start could be thinking. Prevented. Yeah, we could be prevented diabetes, hypertension. You know, so and. I am preaching to myself. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we can have a whole nother conversation about that. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I definitely think that we, there will be some kind of a shift that's going to happen in the future. I hope so. So yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come and talk to us about this stuff. I. I think it's so important the information that you shared to just get it out there somewhere so people can try to understand more because the hospital system is so confusing. Like we were saying, like insurance itself is confusing and add that into the hospital. It's just, it's crazy. Oh, and, and, uh, add that the fact that you are sick. It's the least thing you have to worry about. Just take care of me. That's all. That's what I came here yeah. for. Just take care mm-hmm. of what I came here for. So uh, it is definitely it's hard. Yeah. It's definitely hard. It's a very stressful time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're thankful that you're there to help make the process hopefully go a little bit smoother. I, 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 you know what? I, I have to say that as a case manager, we are going in it knowing that we're not getting the kudos. We're not getting those, uh, <laughs> those certificates of appreciation or, you know, it, it, it's, but if there's something that I can at least ask or impart to everyone who's listening is that we're not bad people promise we are not here we have good intentions i feel like i want to say that about everyone that works in healthcare yeah we are we have a scope of practice we are limited to what we are able to do with what what, what our society and our economy or the way our system is and and our job honestly we are advocates for the patients we don't see it mm-hmm. but do believe that we are advocating for you uh, you, mm-hmm. you know what we do is at the end of the day will help you as opposed to me helping us. Mm-hmm. We're not. I mean, we get paid the same the other way. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's not for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much for being willing to come on here, and I really appreciate you sharing everything that you shared. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have this conversation going, and uh, and hopefully, you know, we can educate our patients and families, and and hopefully, as a case manager, there's more that I can do for you guys uh, in the future. So hopefully, with this platform, we can continually educate you guys and help you and make sure that you get the best care. I'm excited to talk more again sometime because I feel like we brought up so many other things. I think, yeah. <laughs> There's just so much to talk about. I think this such this is such a great, like we were thinking like, oh, maybe we'll, th- we'll, we'll talk about this. But this is such a, what is it, a Pandora's box of things that we need yeah. to, like, wow, we actually could yeah. come up with a series on this. <laughs> yeah. Royal part one, royal part two. <laughs> Let's do it. Come on. (laughs) Wow. I feel like we covered so many topics and I know we were joking, but I definitely need to have Roel back on the podcast as soon as possible. It's pretty obvious just from this conversation that our healthcare system has a lot of points for possible improvement, simply for the fact that it's so confusing. 
And that's kind of why I started this podcast. I wanted to open up conversations about these topics and talk about areas for improvement and just ways to improve communication within the healthcare system. I'm so excited to continue sharing these conversations with you. I feel like it's so important to bring light to these conversations and discuss such important and relevant topics. You can find us on social media, The Banana Bag Podcast, or visit our website for more information, including ways to support us, thebananabagpodcast.com. And share with your friends if you think they might be interested in listening as well. We are going to be releasing new episodes the first and third Tuesday every month, so subscribe to be notified. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and see you next time.